This is the Post Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Hello there, Post Shifters. It's Sean Sewell, and this is Post Shift number 11. I've been going for almost three months now. Thank you very much for all your support. I appreciate you immensely. Uh, keep listening. This one is a good episode. Uh, I sat down with a really close old friend of mine, Robin Gray, and learned a whole schwackload about him that I didn't know. Um, as bartenders, you probably just get in the sort of rhythm of always talking shop. Um, and sitting down with him was a really eye-opening experience into who he is. Um, and I was just so thankful that he was so open and so raw about everything that he's done in his life. And I so much appreciate the guy. Um, I do think he's one of the most uh, spectacular bartenders in the country. And uh, after this episode, you may think the same thing. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks, guys. Fucking um, sweet. <laughs> um, I have zero zero fucks about, like, I'm not going to filter myself. Yeah. Um, so how about you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Robin Gray from the Rosewood Hotel, Georgia. Uh, born and raised, Vancouver. I'm a bartender. You work at Prohibition. I work at Prohibition. That's my that's the bar I'm on the wood there. But I I do the programming for the whole hotel. So I okay. do like I do like 1927 or okay. Lobby Lounge, or which is our fourth floor terrace lounge, and then IRD and room dining, uh, banquets, everything. The whole oh, wow. hotel, all the programming. What sort of programming do you do in the room stuff. service? Like, uh, so we, we, make, we make mini bubble cocktails. Wow, which are super cool, and they fly, man. Because I've always been curious. Ass, it's something I've always, yeah, <laughs> so it's something I've always wanted to do in a hotel. Yeah, is like mini cocktails, and I wanted to do it here. So sitting upstairs, sorry, we're sitting upstairs in the Vista 18 in the Shadow Victoria, my old stopping grounds for many, many years. Yeah. This is where we first kind of... Uh, I think it was the first time we met. First time we hooked up. Well, first we, time we, 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 like, really, like, we, we, we met, like, first time we met was in Vancouver, and I was at the Jafar competition. That's right. That was the first day I met you, but, like, but we became we became close, like, when, when uh, you when came over. Yeah. Well, actually, we came close in New Orleans, and then... That's we, right. And then we came for uh, for when you were doing the Art of the Cocktail here, and that's when we at this point kind of like connected. Yeah. So uh, you do the mini bit bottle cocktails at. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, like a, a two ounce pour, three ounce pour. Uh, actually, it's a bit more. You know, so we we have these like four and a half ounce um, uh, olive oil yep. bottles. And what I do is, you know, like I originally was doing that, like okay, it's a Negroni, three ounces yep. with a dilution of about, you know, twenty mils yeah, yeah. an ounce, and yep. so that's about four ounces. But then there was like a half an ounce of Messier at the top; it just looked like we're being cheap. Yep. So I said, "Fuck it!" I just make make a big batch, just the way I like it, my Negroni to taste, or yep. my Rob Roy, or my my Martini, or whatever, uh, what have you. I only do five cocktails. Uh, the other two being a Bicare and a Manhattan? No. Huh? Okay. Oh, yeah. Rob Roy, Bicare. Uh, uh, oh, uh, XO Old Fashioned with uh, the Mount Gay Extra Old. Oh, cool. So it's uh, just like regular old fashioned, rum old fashioned. It's yeah. delicious. Of course, the Negroni and Martini. So, what, uh, what's your biggest seller? Biggest seller is the Old Fashioned. Really? Yeah. That boy's on especially yeah. rum old fashioned. And Negroni's uh, like close second. But uh, I make them all myself. I batch them myself. You know, I like, put them all together. I bottle them myself. I, you know, I, I, uh, I shrink wrap the, the, the top cap on it myself. Yeah. Don't you have yeah, minis I'm, for that? I, I do, but I, you know, I have. We do it as a team. I have like I have my, my bar back and I. Yep. We do it together on my prep day. And, and how many? Do you, how many do you every, have to really every make? week? I probably make about fifty. Wow, of each. No, a total. No, a total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's like not a, bad. Like a dozen each. That's, not, that's, that's a nice little one. Yeah, and it, and we only put them in our suites. Yeah. Not in every room. And they just fly. 
They're crazy. People love them. They're and you like, just oh, have the little drink. instructions, like just pull yeah. them over the rocks. And we, we do them super cheap. I mean, cheap for the hotel. Yeah. Georgia, eighteen dollars. <laughs> it's that's like, <laughs> that's a steal for the hotel. Yeah, Georgia. I know. People are like, oh, good deal. Well, I suppose uh, your brands must love that too. Like, well, we work specifically with one brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and just build it all. That's right. How long have you been bartending for? I'm going to ask some rudimentary questions yeah, that, sure, just for that like, from just, me are yeah, you yeah. be like, why the fuck are you asking this? You like, you know this shit. <laughs> but I want... What I try and do with the podcast is I think social media is such a fake environment this year that now that everybody has this sort of I find social media to be too braggadocious. That's yes. why I've been like stepping back from it. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm like, oh, I don't want to brag about like I'm fucking like taking a picture of my flight over here yeah. and like, you know, like a picture of my fucking the pet house I got upgraded yeah. to and fucking wanking myself off shot with like fucking with shots in podcasts you know like fuck that man I live a great life uh, I, I love my life this is amazing I'm doing dope shit like I think the memories are more important than oh, 100% than showing to may showing off to other people and I feel like kind of a dick like I like to keep those the photos and the memories for myself in your head rather than just like Rather than fucking projecting them onto everybody else. And this is the thing: is like with this sort of fake environment, fake environment. I, I try and be super uh, authentic. Like I, I talk about mental health and all that sort of stuff, um, which I've been told by a number of bartenders not to sometimes. Yeah. Um, but well, I mental find- health, I mean, is a, is a tricky one for me. Yeah, but I don't want to get into that. So that's cool. We might. You never know. We're gonna, <laughs> we might have a second degree. You'll Shit. be like, um, <laughs> but like I, I want. The, the reason why the podcast, I think there's a lot of, uh, like you said, braggadocious. Mm-hmm. So the podcast brings it back and be is much more realistic in who the bartenders are and what they actually do. Because yeah. I think the problem is, is like you've got some great photos behind the bar at Prohibition and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And everybody's like, oh my God, Robin Gray is a fucking pimp. But it's like, okay, yeah, but I just worked 50 hours. Like, yeah. And it's yeah. eight in the morning when I'm taking this photo and I feel like a bag of assholes. Yeah, that's And true. there is a like a massive cup of Starbucks like yeah. sitting un- just underneath the bar between shots. It's like, oh my God, I need this coffee so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, no, there's not, there's like nothing, nothing good is easy. You know, yeah. like any, anything that's really good, it's like a cocktail for me. Like, you know, like the, my, some of the cocktails I'm the most proud of are the hardest ones to create. You know, and say, and they took the most amount of time and the most amount of effort, and I really had to push the maximum fucking effort to like to make them what they are. And I I find like most things in life are the things where you put maximum effort in and you get maximum return. You know, I think that's why we get along so well. We know that regardless of the the nice photo on social media or the 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 write ups, that it's a shit ton of work to get to that stage. And I've been talking to a lot of bartenders, like, I wanna. I want to end up like you. I'm well, like, yeah, just, but you're just, 22 they years old. The, they just want the, the insta-famous fucking, like, bullshit, like, where they think that you're, you know, I, I try to ignore all that stuff, man. No. I don't, I don't like... So, yeah, the podcast, like, I want to, like, I really want to get down to this nuts and bolts of, like, um, like, how long you've been bartending for? So, so I've been bartending for 21 years now. Wow. So, which is crazy. Yeah. So, I started when I was 18 now. I haven't bartended straight <laughs> 60 hours a week since I was 18. But I started when I was 18 when I moved to uh, to Scotland. Drinking age there is 18, and so serving age there thus is 18. I moved there. Uh, I finished high school, and I had to, obviously, there was a bit of a wait for about a year before I could get out. Uh, I crashed my car, uh, which I saved all my money for. I worked in a grocery store when I was younger. So I saved up all my money and bought a car. Uh, worked in a, in a produce department uh, coming back from my from vacation I, I crashed it wrote it off which was I was so mad at myself I was like oh my god but I got a really good amount of money for it 
I'm more than I had paid for it, and more than I think the car was even yeah. worth. Like the blue book value was like was super high for some reason. So I had this big payout for my CBC, and I was like, you know what? Like I always had this kind of like want to move to the UK, so I moved to the UK, and then I ended up in Scotland, uh, which is kind of like where a lot of my family roots are. Not all, but most. And uh, yeah, I started bartending in Scotland, and pulling pints, and and working as well in film, which is, was was my original career path. Really? Yeah, yeah. Films my. So I, this, is, this is a story I've never heard before. Yeah, I used to be. Uh, I used to be uh, kind of on the. Pro- I, I always wanted to be a film producer. That okay. was like that was my angle. But like on the way to film produ- uh, film producerism, uh, I had to. Uh, you know, I wanted. I learned to edit. Editing was my big thing. Like, wow. I, used to, I love cutting. Like, I love organization. I love like organ. How I do love, I know, I know this? How do I know? See, this is why I do yeah, podcasts. Yeah. I don't know this <laughs> yeah, shit. I know these things. Yeah. Yeah. So I so I worked in post production. I worked full time at the at Scotland's largest post production company. And honestly, I really fell into bartending in a strange way because. I wanted something that social outlet because I was all my friends were like forty years old, yeah, right. Because I was I was by myself at the school. Yeah. I was with friends originally, and then you know, after a few months, like they went their separate. We all went our separate ways. Well, uh, yeah, I uh, I ended up wanting to meet people my age. I wanted to meet girls, right? So. <laughs> So this is why this is the reason why we, is, is why we all get into the bartending industry. <laughs> yeah, right. With that awkward kid in high school, yeah. like, oh, if I'm a bartender, I'm cool. Yeah, totally. You can pick up chicks this way. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I started working in a bar, um, just pulling pints uh, on the weekends uh, while I worked my nine to five at a post production company. Yeah. As a, and I was a server at the post production company. I wasn't editing it in the beginning. I was uh, I was simply just like serving the clients in the editing booths. Yeah. So I would go and I'd get like the editor and the producer director and like and the people all their people uh, food and drinks. So I would you know I'd make them gin and tonics, go out buy a bottle of gin. You know I go buy them lunch every morning, get them uh, coffees, get them sandwiches for breakfast. You know that sort of thing. And then and then I st- uh, they started teaching me the back of the end and started lo- using all the uh, all the equipment. You know learning how to use like. Uh, videotape recorders yep. and uh, you know like uh, compositing machines and things like that so it was really cool so kids if you're listening um, before smartphones <laughs> we actually had video recorders yeah. VTRs <laughs> VTRs yeah beta beta was yeah. what it was uh, beta it was, it was digi beta it was this old like, so this would have been like 97, 98 yeah that's right yeah yeah, I graduated in 97 and it was 90, uh, yeah, I got into UK in 97, 98, I was there in 99, I was there, I came back in 2000. And this is before, like, this is really before the internet. No, like, there was the internet, but it was, like, rudimentary, like, it was, uh, it was, I used to be a super hardcore geek, like, yeah. mad nerd, like, I bought my own computer, like, when I, went with my first job, like, my paper out, like, I got a Commodore and then I got a... And I got an XT like from my neighbor that I bought from him, and then I like saved up all my money. And so buying a car when I turned sixteen, I bought a computer instead. It was like hmm, computer car, and the and the computer was four grand, or it was like get the car for four grand. And I was like, I bought a computer instead because I was that nerdy. Yeah, see, growing, growing up in the country, like I grew up in high school, with a, it was a computer room. Yeah. Like I never had a computer at home. My yeah. whole existence of like in, in computers in high school, like it was literally just in the computer room. Yeah, and I think in 1996, our high school finally invested in a computer room, and it was so expensive. <laughs> and you'd play like Turbo on the computer. And yeah, stuff. that's what you'd go play. Space Taxi was yeah, my favorite. Exactly, thing. and you'd have so, floppy disks and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, floppy disks. Yeah. Um, so 1998, you started by how long were you in Scotland for? I was in Scotland for two years. So I was on a work permit, working holiday maker, went over there. So started landed in Edinburgh. 
worked in Edinburgh at a place called City Cafe. It's still there today, which is really cool for Tales of the Cocktail when I went back there when Tales was in Edinburgh. The bar that I started in was there, and where I started my bartending career was where Tales was for that whole oh, thing. Wow. And I was like, it was That's just awesome. like, like the stars aligned, and yeah. I was like, I have to be there. So yeah. I went, and I had an amazing time. Uh, then I moved over to uh, I moved over to Glasgow after that. Um, worked in Glasgow. Uh, worked at a bar called Air Organic, and the whole concept of this bar, like the model, was that it was a uh, it was an oxygen bar with organic food. Oh, yeah, so nineties, <laughs> right? And it was they they like they tried the oxygen for a bit, but then it was like really hard for them to maintain and manage. And Especially it was too hard to get flavored oxygen and all the things. That was the rage back then. It was so weird in Glasgow in nineteen nineties, like early two thousands, freaking Glasgow. Yeah, no, ninety, no, yeah, ninety, ninety, ninety nine. Uh, Archi- City of Architecture and Design. Wow, Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah, and it was a, it was really clean. They really cleaned up the city. You know, like they, they uh, all this, all the buildings are made of sandstone. So they, uh, they power washed them all, and everything was just gleaming. Yeah, and beautiful. We had the most amazing summer that year too. It was, it was, it was sunny for a week straight, and everybody was freaking out because it never happened before. It was like, just, <laughs> like you, you get like four days of summer in Scotland. Yeah, but this was like a full month, and it was like everybody was like, wow, everybody's in the park every day, yeah. drinking Buckfast, and it's horrible. <laughs> But also beautiful at the same time. <laughs> so uh, when did you come home from Scotland then? Came back from Scotland um, in 99, right before 2000. We thought all the computers were going to shut down and the world was going to explode. Super fun. I know. I, I was actually on the New Year's <laughs> Eve night of 1999. I was actually crowd control at a really high-end like cocktail party. And I, I, was at, I, was, I was working the door in Australia, yeah. in Brisbane, and... Like literally, I remember like this. Like we actually had an action plan at midnight if the computers crashed, <laughs> like as crack yeah. control because yeah. it was that in, insane. Yeah, it, that was, that knew insane. It was happen. Yeah, and so I was remember seeing it on the back door, and I had like an action plan given to me before I started my shift. I'm like, <laughs> if ever if you start, I remember that. I remember like, there, was, there was a lot of that stuff. Oh, like around. planes falling out of the sky. Yeah, planes falling out of the sky, and like just bad chaos. Yeah, and, getting everywhere. Yeah, and literally, yeah. I remember sitting at the door. And I was on the back exit. Because um, I was only like twenty years old, so like nineteen, twenty years old, and so I'm like at a back exit, and then I I heard the countdown. I'm like, okay, here we go, and then everything just kept going. And I'm yeah, like, nothing happened. Well, I, I was like, like, I, think I was, <laughs> was like, and literally like half hour after, they're just like, okay, you can go home. Nothing happened. Like they literally had me on this back door purely if you are if you were, you were literally there for like for like with crash control, yeah. like just in case. <laughs> and nothing happened and like half an hour they walked back down I was like yeah you can go home we're done sweet, like, sweet. that was my t- that was my entry into 2000 <laughs> 2000 such a weird time such a good time though. so when did you like you came back yeah obviously back to Vancouver yeah yeah straight back to Van and uh, did you stay in bartending or did you go the, the route of the post-production I, went, I stayed on the post-production route yeah I worked at a company called Mainframe it was uh, it used to produce this show um, called um, Reboot really? yeah we even got that in Australia. Yeah, yeah, it was a big thing back then. Yeah, and we used to make this other show called Beast Wars, and, and we made a I bunch of other ones too. And apparently, Netflix is bringing back reboot. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transformers and all that yep. stuff. Like it was, it was a fun job. It was right where, like, because computers were kind of catching up, and like it was, it was right when like um, uh, when digital animation and compositing. Yeah. Was really like starting to starting to move quickly because. 
the, the computers could actually handle crunching that amount of data. They used to charge by the polygon. Yeah. Poly- and that was crazy. I was like, to me, I was like, what? You should charge by like, the you know, like a, an enclosed yeah. space. Super <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, so so I used to edit that. Um, and when I say edit, I was uh, I basically I was one of the editors. So it was, all the graphics would come off of the uh, off of the the renders, and then they'd be sent to me, and then I would check the renders to make sure that everything looked pro- appropriate, and then I would send the render the renders from that to edit, and then wow. they would uh, they, then they would go and do the online edit with those renders. That's insane. How do I, I seriously? I'm so blown away right now that I did not know this about your history. <laughs> yeah. Like and maybe we've talked about it, and we were just both really intoxicated at the time. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start getting into bartending? Like, like proper, proper. So um, while I was working at Mainframe, I was I was always kind of like had this want to be in in the bar, like to work the weekends, and I kind of had that old that balance because for me, I was like full energy when I was a kid. Um, Lot like that now when we're both old. No, not yeah. so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I wanted to, like, I wanted to have that balance, and, and, and for, it's unfortunate because I never really got to get back into the bar. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately kind of fell into a bit of a drug problem, and uh, and started like doing a bunch of freelance work, yeah. doing video editing. Uh, specifically about rave parties, yeah. which is where my drug problem came from. Uh, but yeah, like doing documentaries about raves and about uh, DJs and um, about the the rave culture. Mm-hmm. And I was really into it. Like I, I, I still am into it. I love electronic music. And I love that whole that whole vibe. That whole uh, kind of sentiment. It's beautiful. But then the lifestyle is not exactly conducive. Like, to it. Yeah, the lifestyle will burn you out real quick. So I basically burnt out, and I was like, yeah, I cleaned myself up and. Uh, and when I cleaned myself up, like it was, it was weird. It was, it was that point where I decided that that film and editing wasn't for me because I kind of used drugs as an, um, a way to uh, be productive when I was editing. Yeah. So I would like, yeah, I get high and then I, and just then I fucking and bang it just, out, like, bang it out, and I stay up all night. Yeah. You know, and I just like crush it and like I do like you know like a week's worth of work in like two days. Wow. You know, and and, and not sleep. So yeah, that was horrible. And then um, I found that I that after when I tried to edit and when I tried to like try to compose after that that I couldn't do it as efficiently as when I was high. Mm. So it was like a really hard time for me because I was like I was like I don't want to I don't want to get high anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't want to I don't want to be that that kind of person. So. Uh, and what year was this? So this is uh, shit. This is like 2006, I think. Okay, so it's not. It's, yeah, 2000, yeah. 2005, 2006. Is when I kind of hit the wall and I was like, I, I stopped. I moved back to my parents' house. I cleaned up, and uh, it was time for me to make a change. And that change was mostly getting away from my friends. And my friends was uh, were all people that I work with. So I got away from them, and I, I had to start a new thing. So I had to get new friends, and I had to get a new job and a new way of doing things. So I went back to the bar, which is what I was. It was always in the back of my mind that I wanted that. We were even worried that like. Clean up off the the drugs and the and that sort of thing, and then going like you're basically just swapping out swapping out one, with alcohol, yeah right? yeah swapping out one addict, addiction to, for another. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. In in a way, yeah, for sure. But it never captured but, you like it. Or no, it, I, I mean I'm you know I you know I I drink, but I don't I don't think I drink the same way that I used to party. That's fair, right? You know, and I, I think I'm lucky too because there's a lot of partying when it comes to 
to to the bar. Like I made like a, you know, when I when I got into the bar, I was I was still partying a little bit, um, working behind the bars, and I, I changed my drug, yeah, a little bit. And with that, I don't mean alcohol. I yeah. say I changed my drug. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, so yeah. I just uh, started started back in the bars and. And it was it was perfect for me. Like I loved it. I, it was it was. I used to always think about it like this. I used to always explain myself about yeah. like this. Is was uh, was editing was very like insular. It was always like a, something that I did by myself. Yeah. Um, primarily, um, and I would just sit there and I would just get work done. You know, and I would be. I never. I wouldn't talk to someone. I would just be sitting there tapping away on a computer. Yeah. You know, and working on on computer screens all day. And then bartending was the complete opposite of that. Is where I was like completely socialized, yeah. like a super social environment where I had to like use another part of my brain that I wasn't using. Yeah, yeah. And kind of changed the way that I did things. You know, because I'm a huge nerd. So like being uh, being nerdy, and then and then being kind of a little bit like socially awkward, and then going into like a very like socially demanding job yeah. was like a big change and a, and a big challenge which I really enjoyed and um, yeah no, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm super nerdy I'm just like a highly socialized nerd <laughs> <laughs> I think most of us are like, I, I, think, I think the really great bartenders out yeah. there uh, if you look back like I, I don't have a lot of photos of me being in high school and stuff mm-hmm. so I think we all are socially awkward when we're in. Mm-hmm. I think we're all socially awkward when we're in, in high school that's just the, what high school is Yeah, um, and I I'm. I'm not sure if I've found like someone who was the cool kid in school that went on to be a really great bartender mm-hmm. because he's always. Well, you know what? Always Jim cool. Meehan said this really yeah. well, and I and I remember this quote because he was such a cool guy, and I remember he would say, "He's a you know, it used to be all like the kind of the really good looking guys yeah. and like cool guys that were the bartenders." And the nerds were kind of on the peripheral, yeah. and now it's like it's just flipped the other way. Yeah. It's like the nerds are now in control. Like the nerds are like the nerds are now the the cool guy bartenders, and yeah. like the good looking guys are kind of like oh whatever. <laughs> so once you started getting into bar t- back into bartending, and uh, what sort of bars were you working at? Like what sort of like? So I started. Uh, so okay, so in the UK I was working in restaurants, yeah. and then um, and I, I I forget to mention that I moved uh, from from Edinburgh to Glasgow then I moved down to Brighton okay uh, and I ran a nightclub in Brighton so I was in restaurants so I was yeah. in, I was in a cafe uh, restaurant in Edinburgh and then I was in a like a bar like a, a bar restaurant concept it was a there's a f- proper fine dining restaurant above us but we were more of a, like the kind of like the bar like the bar bar yeah. we also sold food from the restaurant upstairs and then um and then when I went to Brighton, I worked in a nightclub. I ran a nightclub with actually my my best friend George, which was uh, which is a hell of a time. It was a really good time uh, on the beachfront. Yeah, right in uh, right when Norman Cook was doing his was like super hot Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, Fat Boy Slim was uh, was like all the rage back then, and he was like throwing parties on Brighton Beach, and it was like a crazy shit show. Cool. And we had hammocks outside the bar. Yeah, and it was uh, it was a good time. We partied hard. It was a nice time. So when you came back and got out of editing and stuff, yeah, did you get back in the restaurants and stuff too? Uh, yeah, no, I actually didn't go to the restaurants. I went back into nightclubs because that was kind of what I knew from the rave culture yeah. thing, and like that's where I felt comfortable, right? So uh, that's so. why your mise en place is so good. That's why you. That's <laughs> yeah, why that's like so every, good. that's why your mise en place is so good. You cut those lives. I think every <laughs> I think every bartender should do at least two years in a nightclub. I think it's important to yeah. like know where your mise is. So like I I still work in a nightclub. Yeah. I'm working in a nightclub. I, right I, now. I have seen prohibition I'm on a working, Friday night. It's working in a nightclub. Yeah. It's, just a, it's a nightclub where you'll pay 40 bucks for a cocktail. That's right. 
38, mate. 38. Yeah. <laughs> it is insane how busy that place is. That's like high volume bar. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's awesome. You know, being a cocktail nightclub is an interesting beast. But um, so yeah, so I worked in I worked in the nightclub. I worked at the Lonsdale Key Hotel, so yeah. in North Vancouver, because I'm a North Vancouver guy. So I worked in there. Um, I worked at the Queen's Cross Pub as well, which is a neighborhood pub, yeah. like classic old English pub, pub food, like have to have your crank on. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Like you know, you know, just just pints. Yeah, you know, like hardly any spirits going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, just like you know, like gastro pub food, yeah. that sort of thing. Then I went. Then when I really when I got into craft, this is like this is the turning point. Yeah, where I like where I got into craft is I got offered a job to work at um, at Grouse Mountain. Okay, and I was like, hmm. And then I got offered like these really shitty shifts at this really cool bar that opened in West Bank called the Ocean Club. And it was like this. I remember really, when you were at the Ocean yeah. Club. Yeah, it was a really like really neat uh, concept because it was a restaurant. It was a supper club. It was a restaurant, and then it turned into a nightclub. <laughs> At night, um, and I got like I got offered like um, the beginner, like junior, junior bartender shift. So, or I could be the bar manager of Grouse Mountain. Yeah. So I was like bar manager of Grouse Mountain or junior bartender working day shifts. Yeah. And I was like, and I did a trial shift at both places. And they're like, okay, you're like you're in charge. Like go for it at at Grouse Mountain. And I was like, okay. And then I went and tried out Ocean Club, and I like someone showed me how to make a mojito, and I was like. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> wow, crazy! And then they like they showed me how to make like um what was it? Those the other things you you really pop like just like just you know good bartending yeah you know like proper bartending you know like with fresh juice. I mean the juice wasn't actually fresh; it was like yeah, shit yeah, yeah. pasteurized like <laughs> fucking like back then that was that was that was the freshest like, yeah. it was right. Yeah, I was like, what? You actually squeeze this shit yeah. together? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was. uh yeah, like we, we made our own simple syrup, and like we had all the Jaffard syrups on yeah. our back bar, and we had this huge back bar with all these spirits I'd never heard about or even seen, and like their bartender was talking this different language to me. So I turned down like the great paying bar manager job to start at the bottom, and and you know work Sunday mornings at this. And how old were you? Bar. Like this happened. This is I'm 26. 26 wow. Yeah. So yeah, I've got 26 year old bartenders going. Yeah. How do I get what you have? I'm like, what? <laughs> another 10, 15 yeah, years. 10, 15 years <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it was uh, yeah, it was really cool. And I started to make drinks, and that's when I that's how, that's how I met you. Yeah, like I you know I, I won, think you were at the Ocean Club when we first met. I was. Yeah. So I, I won, I, I won I a cocktail competition. I put 10 bucks down. I, if I put 10 bucks down right now, if I go to my phone and go to my emails and yeah. type in Robin, yeah, it'll come up as Robin at Ocean Club from my Hotmail account. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think. No, I, I, hot, I do yeah. have an Ocean Club email. Yeah, and yeah. I think that would have been the first yeah. email because I, 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 I think that would be still on my phone to this day. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, and that's like, I actually, like, the what really, like, like threw me into the deep end of craft bartending was that I won a cocktail competition. It was a it was a mailing cocktail competition. Remember when those used to happen? And it was for Bombay Sapphire. So Bombay Sapphire was like, yeah, make a drink. And I was like, and I'd been bartending at the Ocean Club for like almost a year, and I'm making all these cool drinks, you know, making espresso martinis, yeah. and we're like, you know, it was like it was all those nights, the brambles, like all the Dick Bradsell drinks yeah. were like, were all the rage, the and we're like, I got a, I, my my bar manager had a uh, a uh, a subscription to Class Magazine, yeah. and it was like, and it came to like 
Yeah, you know, it, it came to Ocean Club, so I'd always read it when it came yeah. out. I was like, this is super cool. All the drinks that were happening, Difference Guide was just going and all that stuff. And, you know, like, it was, um, yeah, it was an ex- exciting time in bartending. It was like, it was the, it, the revolution was really starting to, to kick off here in in Canada, and there's only a few guys doing it. You know, there's only like, there's only like a dozen guys. Yeah, yeah? and I think it was that. And you were one of them. It, I, think it was, <laughs> I think it was that sort of. I should say a dozen leaders. There was a dozen leaders at the time <laughs> yeah. with like with many followers, but there was only a dozen guys who actually knew it was happening. Yeah, and that's and I think that was where like internet sort of came into play a lot. Like yeah. Drink Boy and, and that sort of thing really came into play, and all those sort of things. It was like this nice apex of like all this information started like really free, flowing well, freely. When the internet started yeah. like really like like being something yeah. rather than just a bulletin board yeah. system where you could you check your hotmail, yeah. like, it was it just changed it up. And totally I think cool. around that time, a lot of bartenders either struggled with sharing information and like oh it was not about sharing back then it was like oh like the internet was like you have to remember that the the internet I think changed our perception of sharing information because before then it was about when you had information you kept it to yourself because that was what gave you a leg up and made you more desirable to employers as a bartender right so like so my, my, my bar manager for instance at the ocean club which I respect and I also despise at the same time. He he wouldn't share anything. He wouldn't yeah. tell me how to make like honey syrup, and yeah. I was like, you know, I was like, you're di- you didn't tell me how to make simple syrup. Yeah. Like he's just, he was he was a dick about things. Yeah. You know, like I had to figure it all out for myself, which is kind of cool. And I it's find better for myself because I learned it. There's still my some own bar- way, right? there's still some bartenders out there that still hold this. I'm like nothing's like nothing's tra- everything's transparent these days. Yeah. Like recipes and everything. Yeah. Like, and like when the kids, like I get text messages like, oh, how do I get this? Or what, how do I do this? Or how do I, I'm like, Dave Arnold books. Yeah. Like, yeah, just, just, just Google it. Start, or just buy some books and start reading. Yeah, and there, there weren't a lot of books around no. back back in the day either. It was like, they oh, just Well, started. there was books, but they there just weren't great. Yeah, and there, there wasn't a lot of distribution. I have, I have 500 books still in storage, which they're probably just gone now, but like 500 books still in storage in Australia mm-hmm. that I'll never bring over here. I had this sort of OCD that every time I walked past a bookstore, yeah. I had to go in and find a new concept book and yeah. buy it. Yeah, like, cool. these like books are like fifteen, twenty bucks. So like yeah, awesome. one, once a week, twice a week, three times a week. It's like and, buying records. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And so you're and, buying books. And so I, I have a good book collection at home now. But I have my book collection at I've just still got the very first concept book I ever bought still at home with like handwritten notes and yeah. every place I'd go work out I'd sit down with shit. a cocktail recipe and write every recipe yeah, into the book and everything so after Ocean Club how long were you were at Ocean Club for a couple of years that's when we met Jafar competition started mm-hmm. taking off like cocktail competition in, in Vancouver started to, started to like, hard. I think 2009 I've got photos of you, me, Wendy McGuinness mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Sean, Sean Layton yeah. like Babyface the Babyface Killer yeah, yeah. like that's right. Um, yeah. At a cocktail competition, I, it was a dodgy hotel. Yeah, it was. In, it was actually at the Boulevard. Yeah, and yeah, it was super dodgy. Yeah, back in Keith, the day. Keith Thruster was there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was. It was. There was some fun. Being so there. after Ocean Club, where'd you go after Ocean Club? So after Ocean Club, uh, I went to Gastown. I started working in the Revel Room, and that was yeah. that was a good time. I feel like Revel Room. You working at Revel Room? Yeah, it was like yesterday. Yeah, but then I re- but then I realized that I think we came and visited. Mm-hmm. I came and visited you during yeah. Tales you, you on and tour. Nate. You and yeah, Nate me came. Nate and yeah, Phil Tales on that. tour. Yeah, and, and that was tw- yeah. and that was twenty twelve. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> so long ago. But it feels like yesterday. Oh my god! Yeah, and we ha- we held at the hotel. I was also working at the hotel Georgia. Yeah, at the time I did both because because uh, prohibition wasn't open. 
Reflections and 1927 were the only two bars, and because of the way seniority works in the um, yeah in the Unionized Hotel, I, I took the summers off because or sorry, I took the winters off because I worked the summers in Reflections, and then we get laid off. And then we did a Javon cocktail competition up in Reflections. We sure did. Yeah, we did. We did the Javon. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, Manuel and the uh, Euro Wine Gate. Yeah, Manuel. <laughs> Excelia Tequila. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I think I it's a fantastic so. tequila. Ciroc. I'm, look, I'm really, I'm truly looking forward to going to Portugal in May. Um, yeah. And uh, hanging out with Manuel. And I think I'm doing a pop-up at Ulysses Bar for him. Badass, man. So, I think you're trying to get there. I'm, you, I, you, you, I would you, love you, to. You, you'll get there. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, got, it's uh, always hard, it's hard to, to, to nail Manuel down. It really is. Yeah. You've got to hit him up on social media at the exact the right time. Yeah. And he'll answer. And then he'll send you 15 messages. Usually it's just four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you, yeah. I think we should do something for a Canadian pop-up. Um, so once what, Prohibition was like two and a half years overdue by the time it opened oh shit no it was like it was more than that oh really yeah it was like it was yeah it was three years three years overdue but I remember our, our initial branding for Prohibition was it's about time yeah <laughs> it was like yeah. Because it, well, it was about time, like it fucking finally you open, yeah. and then it was about time. It's like prohibition was about is about prohibition cocktails and, and that whole timeline of, of the. It's a beautiful space. Cocktail. Yeah. What's your capacity there? Hmm. What's your capacity? Two hundred. It's a lot of people. It's too many people. It doesn't work. Cocktail bars, the best cocktail bars in the world. Yeah. Are like fifty cc's. <laughs> <laughs> Tops. Tops. Yeah, one one or two bourbon. And they're usually served on the floor as well, which is honestly what I what I what I want for my for my cocktail bar. And you, but I but I do I honestly I do really like and Ocean Club was the same way. It was huge. It was like maybe 160 capacity, but we were making classic cocktails. We were yeah. making contemporary cocktails. We're serving highballs. We're serving beer. We're like we're making crazy shots. We're like we we we're we're um, a a dining environment that turns into a yeah. nightclub. Now it's the same shit, different pub. But with prohibition, is it's a cocktail club where people come there. We don't really serve we serve food, but we're just, we're not a restaurant like the Ocean Club was. We like no, we serve cocktails. It's a very cocktail heavy uh, environment. Everybody's drinking good drinks. Well, it's also been geared and marketed that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Think, but then we become a nightclub. Yeah. Right? And then we're, we're, but we're still like, you still have to like, you know, dry shake your whiskey sour yeah. while you're making uh, <laughs> like 15 vodka sodas, bro. With goose. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, that was the biggest shocker when I first walked in. I can't remember the first time I walked in there, but when I first walked in there, I'm like, Holy fuck! That's big. Because well, the photos and everything, like it's it's a big bar, so yeah. you assume the, the bar's long with a yeah. skinny room. Yeah, yeah. And then you walk down there, and you're just like, it's expensive. It's massive. It is massive. It's too big. It's that's it's honestly too big. I honestly think that the that we'd we'd push better revenue and better numbers if we were half the size. It's yeah. always one of those things. because when you when you walk in first, if you're the first guests of the day, and you're oh, in a room for two hundred, yeah. you're like. Oh, there's no one else here. No, no, there's a lot of people the class- stop and like turn and around and like uh, I feel awkward. And I'm the classic like, oh, when you get busy here, yeah. yeah oh, when, uh, when, when's the busy I mean, time? There's a hundred people in the room right now. We're like, what do you mean <laughs> when we get busy? It's like, oh, yeah. oh you're two hundred people are in the yeah. room. Oh, yeah, same when you get busy around here, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's ten thirty, sir. So yeah. this brings me because I know you've got all the toys. Yeah. You really do have all the toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I bought them most. Yeah, I, I'm like, the centrifuge I own. It's mine. I just oh, well. keep it there. Do you have the Dave Arnold centrifuge, or you actually no, bought no, like no, a no. proper? No, 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 no. I bought a like Derek and I actually split it. 
Um, and we we went out to the suburbs, like way out in Abbotsford, like on this mission on this crazy windy rainy night. And we uh, we went out to this like mad scientist's lab, and he had the centrifuge that Derek had found on Craigslist for sale for a thousand dollars. So we, we split it five hundred bucks each. I had to lend him the five hundred bucks. Derek, did he ever pay Derek you back? Um, uh, yeah, he did. He did. He did yeah, that's always one thing that I. Derek I, always paid everybody back. I, I tongue and cheek it, but like. Uh, Brendo mm. still owes me ten bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read the last. Little... You know what's crazy? Fucking Brendo sent me a, a boomerang, and uh, and sent it with a friend to come into Vancouver. And her name is here right now. I'm, I'm sorry if you're listening, <laughs> uh, but she dropped it off um, at the bar after he had passed away, and it was like oh. it was like a, a present from Brendo, and she really like. She made a point of like bringing it over, taking it to me. I said to have a drink after Brendo had passed. It was right yeah. when I found out he had passed. I was like, "Holy fuck!" And he had uh, he put it in a in a in a feast feast brothers bitter bottle. <laughs> he just put it in there after he's yeah. down, put his cocktail in there, and screwed it back on, and wrote like, "Oh, remember yeah. like I ate Robin, yeah. and I still have it since on my mantelpiece." Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but yeah, like I think the last whiskey fest we did together, it was Brendo being Brendo. Oh, it's fucking love And right now, he he walks out of the room. He's got a little, little bit of vomit on his tie. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, yeah. so <laughs> that overproof burn. Which <laughs> thought that the overproof burn in the last room was a bad choice. <laughs> like, I can see that. Have you, have you got ten fifteen bucks so I can catch a cab home? <laughs> like, he can bring home. just get home safe, bud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that was like the last time we hung out. Oh, uh, um, I think both of us have lost people that probably shouldn't have been taken from us so fucking soon. But uh, it's true, it's sad, but like in a weird way, like I don't know if maybe it's just the way that I like deal with it. But you know, find what you love and let it kill you, right? Yeah, and I, so. I think that's always my sort of uh, gain off topic here. But my sort of always thinking about like, yes, I'm being healthy, but I sure as hell want a fucking cigar. Yes, I'm I'm trying to look after myself a little bit better. But you know what? If I get a slab of frog, I'll put on my yeah. steak. Yeah, I fucking have a slab of foie gras because you can. Life is for the living, man. You know, like, if you like, if you're just like constantly hiding from the sun and like, you know, like not going outside and you know, not smoking, not drinking, not socializing with your friends, not having a good time, not, not, not living and enjoying all these like amazing experiences that we can have in this life. Like, I don't know if you're better off like just being like healthy and being vegan and like you know, like stuff plaster on sunscreen and wearing huge hats everywhere and never like and really getting hit by up. a bus the next day yeah 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 or like yeah. cancer takes you down yeah because you, know, yeah. you know cancer doesn't care if you smoke yeah. so you can be fucking vegan and get yeah. cancer you yeah. fuck so uh <laughs> I think the most famous cocktail that you're known for and I know that in the second book we've, <laughs> you've gone through this <laughs> Is it is it your bane of your existence? No, now? it's not. It's not. No, it's not at all. I people, feel you being facetious. People, people, no, no, no. People, people try to try to make it. Well, like, I, like for instance, Fleet Grandbot. He's always yeah. like, "Oh, the fucking," yeah. nah, nah, nah. and I, yeah. Which is funny because you get you, you got to take the piss out of your friends. It's yeah. some real, right? But yeah, it's definitely not the bane of my existence. I think it's like a, it's really great. I actually like was studying for this gin seminar I'm doing tomorrow. Uh, on Difference Guide and I was just looking at some things on old Tom Jin and I, and I saw it on Difference Guide and I was like oh fuck I remember that that was crazy number third yeah. most read article yeah. on Difference Guide in so, the year so what we're actually what we're actually talking <laughs> about is uh, you have to look it up on the Difference Guide is the Inception Negroni yeah which is a Negroni inside a Negroni outside a Negroni yeah it's it's a it's a cocktail within the cocktail yeah so walk us through the Inception alright so the Inception was originally like um so I was obviously inspired by Charles Jolie and like yep. with his work at the aviary and you know he made that old fashioned inside the ice yep. inside the ice sphere and I was like fuck that's some cool fucking shit 
I want to do that. And uh, I was like, okay, well, let's think about doing a Negroni. Actually, you know what? Credit is due to one of my bartenders, Patrick. Uh, he's like, you know, what if you did a Negroni? Like, and I was like, cool. Like, so I, I made, I made, you know, I froze the ice yep. here, and I figured it out through trial and error. And I put a Negroni inside, and I was like, cool, okay. And then I put another Negroni on the outside because I was like, oh, it's Negroni. I was like, hmm, let's pour another Negroni. I put another red Negroni in the inside the ice here, and then a red Negroni on the outside. And I was like, well. I was like, well, that's cool. And then I was like, oh, well, fuck that. I should put I should put a white Negroni yeah. on the outside. And I was like, oh. And that was it. So that was it. I remember and seeing so, that video because, yeah. again, it was like when YouTube was coming out. I think it was 2012. I did um, the Bitted Sling mm-hmm. up at Refinery mm-hmm. when Robin was still, uh, when Lauren was still there. Mm-hmm. And I remember those, um, the cocktail kitchen. Yeah. Like Nate and I did 60 ice spheres. And transported them from here to Vancouver. I remember that. And put a cocktail inside. On, I, 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 I do remember that. <laughs> and we we brought that a keg over because nice I because I carbonated a uh, sake cocktail in a keg and then yeah. just poured it. Yeah, like a like a keg party, like a boss. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I remember watching that video. I, you and know what? I feel like I'm sorry. No, kidding. No, 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 no. And I remember like literally filling up water balloons. Yeah. And then taking them up to the freezer here on the second floor yeah. and hanging them. <laughs> And then, time, like and, then, and then hit the timer. Yeah. And then went up. Yeah. Cut all the ice things, and then took a hot syringe and yeah. dumped all the water, and yeah. then put, filled it with cocktail. A lot of work, man. And it was sixty ice ice spheres to uh, Vancouver. I think that leads us back to like the point of maybe the thread of this conversation is that like that nothing good um, is easy. Nothing. No. Anything. The things that are good, the things that you get like that you get attention for, or like are things that you really tried hard to. I mean, that was like something you fucking spent some time doing that. And the second thing that I think that I, I want to interrupt you is that we were doing we were doing some crazy shit like back in the day, like back like in, you know ten years ago. Sorry, should I say to be more accurate? I guess uh, eight years ago, yeah. we were like we were, you know, we were you know you had keg, carbonated kegs, we were yeah. making ice spheres, like we were like you know we were doing weird things, you know. Some of your drinks were absolutely magic, like back in the day, like with weird flavor combinations, and I feel like. Almost as, as a craft bartending is de-evolving a little bit. You know, I feel like we were like we tried so hard, we were like we hit so yep. high, oh, like I, early. You know what? That's a good point. That now we're like we're kind of like I feel like a lot of the new shit that's coming out is just is a, is a lot of stuff that we had already done, but maybe a bit more finesse, and yep. a bit more and a bit more. Well, I think shrubs shrubs have like blown up in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. like like articles are written about shrubs yeah, and stuff. Shrubs like I had a shrub, I had a switcher, I had a switcher on tap. Yeah, yeah. At Clive back in the day in 2011, 2012. Exactly. You know, Fennet Bronca and House yeah. made cola on tap. Hey, I know. And uh, these are the, this is this is like this is what that's the point I'm trying to make is that it's it's bizarre how I know we're not we are going forward, but we're not. Well, we're not we're not moving as as quick as that initial spurt was. That initial spurt was like this crazy exciting time where we're all just like clamoring to like to get to the top yeah. and like that and to figure out the next big thing. And now it's like we've figured out most of it out, and now there's nowhere to really go from there except for making fucking dioramas and bringing fake grass to a fucking cocktail conference. It drives me nuts. Well, I think I think the difference is that like back then, six seven years ago, eight years ago, was it sort of hit a saturation point with our click. 
yeah. but now it's yeah, getting yeah. redone and it's getting a saturation point for the ma- the mass market. Yes, and I think yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, difference yeah. is like when I had Fender Brocker and Housemate Kohler on Tabak Clyde, it was like all the bartender geeks and everything. Like, oh my god, that's fucking awesome! But now none of the bartender geeks would care about that. And it's just but now now the geeks are the fucking are the consumers. Yeah, this is really funny because Brad Satin and I we we were talking about this. We were like, you know what? All these fucking douchebags, all they want is old fashions. It's so fucking annoying. It's like we like we won. Yeah. Because now all the all the consumers want old fashions. They don't yeah. want vodka sodas anymore. Yeah. They want old fashions. Yeah. But we also lost because yeah. now we had to make old fashions all the time. FTW. I remember one night, like one night in particular, um, because of the way we did FTW with all the bartenders serving them each so like every table would get touched multiple times by different bartenders. Um. I remember one night where I was like, I literally walked in the bar and I was like, hey guys, guess what I, guess what I got coming in? An old fashioned. And it was literally, we went through like fucking bottles of bourbon. Oh, we only had 38 seats, like just bottles of it because every table was one old fashioned variations. And every time we'd be like, okay, table three wants an old fashioned variation. Jared, it's your turn. You haven't touched that table yet. It's your your turn you yeah. take it out yeah. <laughs> and then we go back again oh fucking banana again. syrup and yeah. chocolate bitters oh exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is it's literally like with Jack Daniels yeah. hey <laughs> and that's literally we have we have coffee one. ice cube <laughs> we have one but we need to figure out what the next evolution because I, I feel like with how everything spreads so quickly um, I think a lot of cities miss steps and then places that try to take that back like back in the day you'd start off with like a basic cocktail bar and then you'd go to like a rum bar and a tiki would take hold and then you'd have a, a whiskey bar open up and then it would sort of it would go these steps and like New York and London have had these steps over a progression of like 15 years yeah but with the internet and media and everything like that these small cities and Victoria's included um have sped through through and gone from like the high end cocktail bars where it's a little bit more fuddy duddy mm-hmm and now everybody's trying to be like, oh, I'm super laid back and hipster and like what Chicago's doing and what New York's doing. I'm like, yeah, but we haven't had that progression like full that circle back. Proof, yeah, we haven't had that, that lengthy progression to go back to a point where cocktails are mainstream and enjoyable and people get it. Mm-hmm. And I think people get the people get high on their own supply about how many people cocktail culture's really touched. Yeah. Because well, saturation... Also, too, we are so immersed in yeah. cocktail culture that's hard for us to see between the forest between the trees and that's the thing is like the, the we RT- just think everybody thinks about cocktails yep. the way we do yep. and, and the they fucking is, don't no <laughs> and that's why the RTD market the craft RTD yeah. market in BC is still fucking, fucking massive and, it, and it's just getting started yeah. too like and people are going batshit crazy and also it. too when you know when I say that we're like we're de-evolving in the, in the cocktail like in the world of cocktail I mean that I mean that in like it, we had this crazy spurt and now we're kind of like flatlining, but we're still at the top of that flatline. Yep. And I think, you know, also like end of day, like big, big picture, like big look at things like this is this is not going to slow down or stop anytime soon. And it's like, no, and yeah. it's just like, it's not getting started. It's just kind of like, it's just getting into second gear now. Yeah. Like we're just, we're starting and to move like really like now we can put our foot down and then the shifts into three, four, five and six. Yeah. And then in the eventual, the inevitability of it all coming crashing down. Which I'm sure but, we'll let you know yeah. on this podcast <laughs> in 20 years from now. Yeah. Or whatever, or whatever. <laughs> when it all comes crashing down, that's where that, 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 progression of, that progression of the spring back from like the high-end cocktail bars, the spring back to being more casual, mm-hmm. we haven't had that full progression in a lot of cities. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a, like, I would say that your bar is probably the closest thing to a bar chef, like a bar chef Toronto mm-hmm. mantra in yeah. the way of like, Precise cocktails utilizing like the same way because I smoked in Manhattan. 
<laughs> no, but you, 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 it's sort of the, that application of yeah. scientific ways. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I think I think that that's where that's and more spring, of showy stuff. Yeah, and I think that's where the spring back comes, and I think that there's not enough like you guys got tiki bars obviously but, mm-hmm. and whiskey bars and stuff like that but molecular mixology bars which are poo-pooed now in like yeah. big cities mm-hmm. I still think there's a progression that and small cities we, need we, to adapt and we can, I think we could still go to like the molecular mixology yeah. side and I think Thanks. people like people sort of I've got yeah, a lot of bartenders who go well, I open and want to open a casual cocktail joint I'm like I get it but you're applying a casual cocktail joint to a city that hasn't had the old fashioned spurt or yeah. like they, yeah. like they're yeah. still in the well, Mojito martini yeah. list sort of yeah. section yeah. and you're trying to take them through 10 to 15 years worth of progression I still have like, at least like a large percentage of, of of local clientele coming into my bar and asking for my martini list yeah. you know and there's nothing wrong with that I mean that but that's also a good Temperature, yep. to be able to realize um, where so cocktail culture is. So people aren't asking for cocktails. And cocktail, and cocktail culture, what kind of martinis do you have? Yeah, and cocktail culture. I, I have an apple still... teeny mam. Exactly. I have a. I have a, a, a exactly. peachy teeny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got cucumber teenies on special. <laughs> and the thing is, like, I look at cocktail, like solid cocktail culture saturation, like what we have in Victoria is probably ten percent mm-hmm. of the market, mm-hmm. which really, in the grand scheme of things, is maybe ten to twelve thousand people. Yeah, and in the grand scheme of things, because we're so immersed, yeah. that ten percent is actually probably only five percent. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> you know, because we think it's much bigger than it is. It's those are the people that we interact yep. with. Exactly. And we don't interact with the entire gamut of this fuck of beverage. Yep. Like it's it's, it's we're talking about beverage. We're not talking yeah. about cocktails. Yeah. Go go to any yeah. nightclub and fucking watch how many people drink hails. Yeah. I I love hails. <laughs> we're not delicious. drinking hails on this visit. Okay, well, you won't be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for young bartenders coming through the ranks like I'm I'm a little like I've, I've done two podcasts today so I'm a little mentally awkward so exhausted from like yeah, no worries, um, and your story is like I'm really happy that you went really raw because I look at you and I, I see you as a, a mentor and an idol in my realm like I look up to you quite excessively myself well that's that's, um, that's crazy for you to say thanks um, <laughs> and knowing your story now makes me like sort of love you even more than I already do um, mainly because I feel like I've gone through certain things in my life that have done the same thing whether it be like I, I don't tell my story I'm thinking about maybe doing a podcast of like like started working full time when I was thirteen. Yeah. Got kicked out of home when I was seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Like I came to Canada with like three thousand dollars in my bank account. Fucking right than the one who knows the story. Yeah. <laughs> but there's things that goes back to the fake environment, social media. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, I've man. had multiple bartenders go, "Oh, you've got it so easy. You've been so lucky." I'm like, oh, "Am I been lucky?" Because I, I, I work my fucking ass off yeah. to get here. Exactly, and, and and I'm still working my ass off. Yeah, to fucking and. And and I don't even think I'm there. I'm still working my ass off to get there. I, I'm, I don't think I'm even there. Like, and when you, I don't perceive myself yeah. as being there, I don't perceive myself as like as being at the top. Like I'm like literally trying to still like find different ways, to, like not to get to the top, but to be to be like really like happy with yep. what I'm doing with my work and my yep. life and what I choose to contribute to society. Yep. And that is getting people drunk. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I think. Uh, I love the saying, like, it, it, it's not the hard work that gets you to the top, it's staying there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I always think, like, I'm going to I'm gonna be at the top when I write my second book, or when I do this, or when I do that. No. And then I realize, oh, no, crap, I'm still... That's, like, that's the one thing, that, it's one of my own, like, the things that I always used to tell myself, too, is, like, that I, that I love this industry. Like, I love this industry because no matter how hard I try, and no matter how hard I study, how long I 
I spend like uh, trying to like try to discover and 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 look at different ways of doing things in relative to food and beverage yep. in the hospitality industry. No matter how hard I try, I will I will never become a master of it because there's so much to know from coffee to wine yep. to beer to cocktails to to design to plumbing to to like to freezers to ice to like yep. to glassware to to like understanding the social behavior of people that how to talk to people like the psychology of people like what is the best way of doing things like i'm never gonna crack it yeah ever it's like you don't master it i mean the only reason why like you know we're considered really good in our, our profession is because we have a lot of flight hours like yeah. we're like you know, we, we've flown for thousands yeah. of hours, yeah. you know, and only because of that flying experiences are we allowed to pilot. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like same thing with fucking helicopter pilots. You got to have like a thousand hours to be able to transport people in a fucking helicopter. Yeah. Right. It's, we're just helicopter pilots in the same way, but just hospitality pilots. And we have those, those hours behind us that like, they kind of quantify us in a way, but no matter what, there's like, flying a helicopter. I don't know. I mean, I think you probably hit a ceiling. Yeah. After a while, like you, you, you know how to fly that helicopter. I'm sure, you could find other helicopters to fly, and maybe they'd be different. But like with hospitality, it goes so deep. Like it's, it's just it, the rabbit hole is so deep. Okay, now I've got a good question. And this is going to be a long podcast, but I don't yeah. care. We're not yeah, cutting it up. It. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I sort of always say like about being like being a bartender is so deep. Is like I've never really got offended about the mixology, the mixologist tag. Yeah. Because I believe that to be a true bartender, you should be a sommelier, mm-hmm. a cicerone. I know you've always said this. Like a cicerone. This is like, this, this, this is like yeah. words that I always... Yeah. When, I, when you said that, it's like, these like are the things cic- that I look up for you. You should be a wine person. You should yeah. be a beer person. You should be... Good. You should be like, I don't... Uh, you should be a cocktail person. Mm-hmm. I don't like sports, but I sure as hell know who's like playing. Yeah. I don't... Mm-hmm. I, I get into politics, but it's a whole like... But I know how to talk to someone yeah, about you the know politics. How to talk about politics, and yeah. I think going back to where your experience is and my experience is like, you learn me some plus in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. You know how to be fast. You know how yeah. to do things as quickly as possible and efficiently. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Pub. You know how to talk to people yeah. from the the nineteen year old but but girl's birthday at the yeah, end of the bar. The six and year old, six year old dude who comes in. Yeah, rum and coke. Exactly. Who comes in? Yeah. yeah. Um, you learn that from pubs, and then cocktail bar teaches us craft. Mm-hmm. But I've never been offended by the mixologist tag, um, and I don't. And I've met lots of bartenders who have. But I'm like, well, are you a cicerone? Can I sit down and have a good conversation with beer with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a wine person? Can I have mm. a great conversation about wine with you? Yeah. And you know everything in between, like spirit wise and that sort of stuff. And I think there's the the bartending definition. I always class myself as a bartender over everything else that can be tagged to me. Mm-hmm. Um, purely because I think that I'm well-rounded in absolutely every single section of what a true bartender is. I think, like, maybe... I don't know if this is going to make too much sense, but if it's almost like saying, like, you know, can someone come in to me and talk about any of these certain things? It's like, when I think about that, I think about it as, can I come in and talk to myself about any of these certain things? Because yep. it's really, it's all about, like, it's all about personal ceiling like yeah. you know it's all about your personal knowledge like you're, you're only you're only like you're only fighting against yourself you're only fighting against your best time yeah. you know you you know like s- stop thinking about the others and the rankings of which you perceive yourself in and just think about your your not to be not to say think about yourself because that's fucking shit but the, the, the to use yourself as like a, 
to push against yourself and thinking yep. you what's your well, what's your what's it, your best? It's not having those yeah. blinders on, looking at everybody else, what everybody mm-hmm. else is doing, but just doing what you want to do. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I honestly, yeah, that's, that's a good way I, I think I think Clive's was as successful as Clive's was was because I didn't care what other people thought. Mm-hmm. And then after little jumbo. The PTSDs I've talked about, the mental yeah. issues that I've had from Little Jumbo, yeah. sort of changed it. And like this year, this time, this late last year, I changed the way I perceived myself and really not care. Like going back to the point of like not caring. Like people say a ton of shit about me, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, they don't know who I am. People who are close to me, like Solomon, you, mm-hmm. a few close people who have like hung out and been around me as normal, like have opinions about me. If you haven't actually hung out with me and gone drinking with me ever, yeah. You probably don't know me, yeah. and that's the way. So <laughs> look at it is like, I want to make my wife happy. Yeah, I want to hang out with my good friends. Yeah, I don't give a fuck what your opinion about me or what I do is. Not a fuck. And I'm sure there's Not people. One I'm sh- fuck. I'm sure there's people, oh, people out talk there. shit about me all day, every day, man. I don't give a fuck. And I'm sh- I'm sure the podcast people are like, well, why? But I'm fucking doing it. I'm I'm going to school full time. I work full time. Yeah. Well, two three jobs full time. Yeah. yeah. I have a family. I do three podcasts a week, two videos a week. You've always been doing it like this. This is the way you're wired. Which is another thing I I talked about. I I was like, last year I struggled a lot going back to school. Like I would come home and I would just stop and relax. Mm -hmm. I was starting to drink too much because I was relaxing with the family and I thought that's what normal was. was. And then I was like, you know what, January came around and I slowed down my drinking. I'm like, you know what, my normal is me working. I'm happy when I'm fucking just grinding it out. Yeah, me too, man. And... My, my wife is happier because the time that I spend with her is quality over quantity my yeah. like little girl is too yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. about like do I want to spend six hours on the couch yeah. with my daughter when she's on her like on the iPad watching yeah. YouTube videos my wife's in the bedroom watching her shows yeah. and I'm watching a movie yeah. or do I want to spend two hours of us watching a movie together yeah. covered up eating popcorn going yeah. to the movies yeah, going for a walk that sort of thing yeah, yeah. I'm going to go down for the two hours yeah for sure definitely um, so I think a lot of young bartenders are out there today like I think they try and expect everything to come real quick which I think is the mentality of the society like with media and everything well I think we're like instant gratification like I think that's just like the nature of the times you know and I don't, I don't think it's nature of the times I didn't stop myself there because fucking as fucking as an older person now like I'm almost 40 like looking like saying that kind of shit like saying like oh this younger well, generation it's a, it's like, a, they don't fucking know that's yeah, just, it's that's it's just old people yeah. talking about fucking young and people and our generation and before us we were the yeah. same fucking yeah. way and when I say we were the same way, everybody is this way. Yeah, it's not fucking. It's not. It's yeah, not the generation. It's not tennis. them. It's yeah. not us. It's just fucking. It's just. It's the way we like to postulate yeah. about. And, and the generation before us, bartenders would be like, "Oh well, when I was going through the ranks, there wasn't as many books. Oh as, yeah, there's not as many was, books as before. But when I was young, there was yeah. no fucking internet around. I could yeah. just like look at a recipe when I didn't know what was in a fucking. I think what it, was in a Bronx cocktail? Yeah. You had to remember that. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Like fucking whatever. But the thing is, it's an easy blame game to say like, yeah. like the way that society is now but I think the society as a, as a whole um, which is why I want to do the podcast why I do lo- tons of live videos and I'm fucking panting while I'm walking the dog and shit and mm-hmm. like just talking about stuff because I think a realistic sense for bartenders to understand like how much work it takes to get to a certain place mm-hmm. is something that's important but I think it's important for every category like every person like because everything is so quick these days like Back in the day, if you made a phone call, you'd leave a, a, a message on an answering machine, and then you'd wait for the phone to come, mm-hmm. like ring back. There was no cell phones and stuff. Um, but now you can drop a text, yeah, and you can see when the person's read it, yeah, and you can see the little three dots come up, yeah, and you know it straight away what's going to yeah. happen. Like, yeah. hey, Robin, I'm upstairs in the mystery team. Done. Yeah. You're upstairs. Cool, we're there. Um, Imagine back in the day, I, used, I like you know, you just have to be okay. I'll meet you here at two fifteen. Yeah. 
And then you wouldn't be here at 2.15. Yeah. Like, oh, the asshole is late all the time. Yeah. That's why it was so important exactly. to be 15 minutes early exactly. for something back in the day. <laughs> now it's like you just need to be 30 seconds early yeah. and you're good. Yeah. Right? Like, because we got enough, like, all of our clocks are synced. Yeah. Like, remember when clocks weren't all the same? <laughs> that was weird. Right? Like, like, you know, just like, the, the little li- things like that. You know? It like, is the little things that did you start You had to pick about. up a phone to call your friend and be like, hey, yeah. I, hey, like, hello, Mrs. Sewell, can I just talk to Sean? <laughs> you know, like, um, so let's, let's finish off this one piece of advice. Um, one piece of advice for bartenders out there who are who are looking at getting into the the show, the big game, the, the craft cocktail scene, and stuff like that. Um, what piece of advice would you give them? Uh, stay humble. Like that's the biggest thing, man. Like just like, maybe that's not the best thing to say for someone who's like trying to who's just beginning in the cocktail game. Yeah. Maybe it's the best thing to say to people who are in the cocktail game. Is to is to be humble. Not don't stay humble. Fucking just be humble. Like don't judge. Just be be good. Be a nice person. And also just always just try to to be the best that you can be. Try to be the nicest person you can be to your guests. Like yeah. being nice goes a long fucking way. Just don't be a dick. Like don't fight. It's not about cocktails. We're not fucking making cocktails, man. We're fucking we're serving drinks. And we're talking to people. That's it. Wow, that's pretty profound. As my, my dad used to say, is regardless of what you do, you always have to be the best at. But then on the flip side, my mom used to say, regardless of how good you are, there's always someone out there that's better. That's a great fucking way. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to to have two two of your of your people, the people who are you, yeah. your DNA, to fucking be so dichotomous, yeah, and to be so opposite because that's such a, that's a fucking that that's some shit because the world is light and dark, yeah, it's fucking bright and it's fucking complete darkness. It's like and there's balance in this world, and it's and a cocktail is about balance, and it's also too you'd have to know when to be a dick to someone, and you have to know when to be a real nice guy too. Right? <laughs> oh, and on that note, um, <laughs> thanks very much for this, buddy. Peace. This is going to be a really great episode. Awesome. I hope I hope you all enjoy it. Right. <laughs> I'll see you guys next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Poo Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.